Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. We're jumping into Esther chapter 5. And uh, man, it's just so funny how things work out. I, I screamed my guts out last night at a Georgia Southern game for four hours as we fought tooth and nail to come back against the JMU Dukes and, uh, and get a surprise victory. So if my voice sounds a little worn this morning, uh, uh, the Lord also knew I was uh, singing this morning as well. And so I just think there's, uh, you know, there's always, it's just always funny how things work out, but it's, but it's, but it's great. God knows what's best, right? Amen. And so we're going to trust him in that. And actually the title of the sermon, if you're taking notes this morning, I hope you are, because I just think it's great for us to remember things and to stay engaged in the sermon. The, the title of the sermon is called Trust His Timing. And there is no one in this room that struggles with this more than me. Oh my goodness. I, I seem to um, be able to hear what God is saying. It's like the message is clear, but the timing is just always, it seems like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you would consider yourself someone who's behind the Lord's timing. If he's like kind of having to drag you along sometimes, like you're like, no, wait, God. And he's like, no, come on. Um, I'm typically the person that runs out ahead of God and does it way sooner than, and I need to pump the brakes and slow it down because sometimes, uh, and so no matter which side of, of the struggle you fall on, I, I think we all struggle sometimes with trusting his timing. So just a little confession up front, no one needs the sermon more than me this morning. And, and that's usually how it works out when you're the preacher. Um, you know, you find yourself just convicted all week long. You're like, man, this is good. And so just so you know, I'm right there with you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed uh, Phil last week. Phil, Phil is on the oversight team uh, that helps uh, just, just kind of a group of pastors until we establish a plurality of pastors here. That's, our, that's kind of our church structure and leadership that we would have multiple pastors uh, here. And while I'm the lone pastor currently, uh, there is another group of pastors from our sending church, New Passion, in the area uh, that is praying for us, that is right in the trenches with us, and that is um, you know, just providing lots of wisdom. They're in, they're in their uh, 12th year, they just celebrated 12 years of being a church. And they used to meet in a school just like us in Columbia County. And so they, they literally have been where we are and it's just been a host of wisdom. So I hope that Phil uh, was encouraging to you last week. He just has a passion for the Lord and for people. It just, it just drips off of everything that he does. And so, and so I hope you were blessed by that. I listened back to the sermon and there's no, uh, I mean, there's no better sermon of mercy and redemption than Mephibosheth. So hopefully you learned a new Bible name or at least learn how to say that one. Uh, when we see it, we kind of go, what's, what's that? All right, I'm gonna take a sip of water and we're gonna dive in. So, trust is timing. You know, last week we talked about crisis of faith. You remember that? Crisis of faith. Everybody say that real quick. Crisis of faith. Yeah, we all have these crisis of faith moments where it's like, if God doesn't do something right about now, um, I'm done. There's no way this is gonna work out. There's no way I can do this in and of my own power. And it sounds like a scary place to be, but friends, the truth is, that's exactly the perfect place to be. You know, I've heard it said before, the safest place to be is right smack in the middle of the will of God. Um, it's not always literally the safest place to be. Sometimes we, 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 we go through some really hard things. In fact, it is often hard, hard times that come while we're right in the middle of the will of God, but it is safe as in we're in the arms of our Father and He's in control. God knows everything that's coming in your life. He knows tomorrow. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Remember, he's outside of time. So he sees, you know, we, we experience time like, like we watch a movie. 
different scenes present themselves. We can't see the last scene or this scene. Um, of course, we can rewind now easily and DVR and all that kind of stuff. But the way God, God sees it, like a film strip. He sees the beginning. I mean, think about it all of time, the film strip from beginning all the way to the end. And so we trust his timing. But Esther had a crisis of faith moment where she was in a catch-22 in a rock in a hard place and she, she had to step up and, or not. If she doesn't, then the whole entire plan of God is at stake here. And Mordecai reminds her, remember Mordecai says, hey, Esther, even if you choose to, to, to lack courage and choose to not step up to King Ahasuerus, and plead for, the, plead for God's children and plead for the Jewish nation of Israel. If you choose not to do that, oh, oh, he's gonna save us somehow. But I believe he's called you for such a time as this. Friends, my heart as your pastor is that you would not miss out on what God wants to do through you. He will accomplish whatever it is he has for you to do. He'll, he'll use someone, but wouldn't you love that to be you if that's God's plan for your life? And I think for a minute, if I could just go one by one, and I, th- I think a lot of us would say, yes, I want God to use me. I'm there, let's, let's, let's go. But when the time, when, when the rubber meets the road, that's that crisis of faith moment, Esther had it. And we see that she steps up to the plate and she trusts God in his timing. Even though she said yes, she said, God, my yes is on the table. Have you ever had that kind of moment? God, my yes is on the table. If you haven't, it's the scariest thing you'll ever do, but it's the most freeing thing you'll ever do. Because it literally says, God, no matter what you tell me, my, my answer is yes about whatever this is. And hopefully your whole life is that way. If you're a Christian, if you're walking with the Lord, then you say, my yes is always on the table. God, speak and your servant, uh, like Isaiah, right? Here I am, Lord, send me. And so this was the attitude of Mordecai, of Esther. And we see, you know, in this moment, at the start of chapter five, what feels like a death sentence is actually a rescue. Because in chapter three, we see that the Jewish people are gonna be exterminated, that that's the plan of the evil villain, Haman, the prime minister. Remember, we got a foolish king and an evil prime minister. And evil prime minister Haman says, getting rid of the Jews, the whole plan of God, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with Noah, the whole deal, everything from creation, nope, all that covenant stuff, we're doing away with it. It's time for these Jews to go bye-bye. We're gonna exterminate them all. By the way, every plan throughout human history to exterminate the Jews has failed because God preserved his people and preserves his children. And so what feels like a death sentence is actually a setup for a rescue. You remember these stories in the Bible, right? Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den, what felt like a death sentence was actually a rescue. Moses, his back, he can hear the, the horse hooves of the chariots and the screaming sounds of Pharaoh's army and the freaking out sounds of, of the people of Israel around him, this, this million strong nation. People don't know what to do and he stands at the water's edge and he's got death at his back and drowning before him. But he had faith in that moment. What felt like a death sentence in that moment was actually set up for rescue. And I'm just gonna open up by encouraging us this morning The same is true for your life. What feels sometimes like a death sentence or maybe even just like you're stuck or maybe even just like things are falling apart all around you and there's anxiety and there's depression and there's there's hopelessness. In those moments, what feels like death is actually set up so that God can come and redeem and he does it in his time and in his own way. 
And so that's the setup for this morning. First Peter puts it like this. I'm just gonna summarize First Peter 5, verses five through seven. It says simply this, hey, cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God cares about, he knows what's going on in your life. So cast your anxieties upon him through prayer. Tell him why you're freaking out. But then tell him that you trust him. And he says in verse seven, hey, in due time, which stands for God's time, in due time, he will exalt you. And what we're seeing in the story now is we're seeing a reversal. We're seeing a reversal of the narrative where Mordecai has been brought down in the story, but now Mordecai is gonna be exalted. Esther has been threatened, the Jewish people have been threatened, but now we're gonna see exaltation, but to God's glory. And so we start out in scene one, write this down. Here's scene one, we've had this set up. Scene one is the courtyard of obedience. This is different, there are different arenas of your life, different, different places that God has you, but everyone has a courtyard of obedience. And Esther was about to literally walk into a courtyard of obedience. When she said yes, she had to step into this courtyard that would have looked straight into the throne room of King Ahasuerus. Door wide open, a straight shot to the throne. Picture me, and he, me here and Ahasuerus all the way at the end of that hallway. I mean, it would have been a direct line of sight. And as Esther stepped up in, essentially into the spiritual battle arena, she would lock eyes with the king, who by the way, had not seen her for 30 days, remember? He said, no, no just go to the harem. I don't, I don't need to see you for a whole month. So she was scared in that moment. She had fear in that moment. Remember chapter four? She was, she was fearful. Courage is not the absence of fear. I know, I don't, I don't want to sound cliche. I know that we've heard that before, but sometimes we don't believe it, right? We think if I'm going to be courage, well, well no, if I'm going to have courage, I, I need to completely lack fear altogether. No, no, fear, fear, fear keeps you humble. <laughs> it, it reminds you of the severity of the moment, but we're bold and brave in that moment, in that courtyard of obedience to step out. And Esther is literally looking death in the face. Now, why is that significant in the Bible? Because it's what Jesus did for us. Jesus did the very same thing. He came down to earth. He incarnated. He took on flesh. The eternal son of God came, was born as a baby. We're about to talk about it a lot around Christmas, about the incarnation. He came and he lived. He walked this earth and he lived his life all the way to the point where he, he stared death in the face for us. And Esther is now interceding for the Jews. So this reminds us of what Jesus did. See, see the Christ connection as we go throughout the story because the whole entire Bible is ultimately about Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, even in the books like Esther that don't even mention the name of God, still about Jesus, still a Christ connection. Paul writes in Philippians, therefore, this is in 2.12, Philippians 2.12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Friends, this is the spiritual gymnasium that we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is where we get our workout on for the Lord spiritually. We work out through dealing with, with, with fear in our lives. With yes, a reverential fear, but also legit fear. Like I'm scared right now, but I trust God. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. I'm not out of the valley, I'm in the valley, I'm freaking out, but I trust God. Both, both of those things can be true. So, Paul writes, work out your salvation. And this is Esther's moment to work out her faith, so let's get into the text. 
verse one. Chapter five, verse one. On the third day, on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing. Feel, feel the suspense as we read it. And she stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. She did two things. Remember, she stood and she faced. She stood, she stood strong and she faced her fear. Facing its entrance. Verse two. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, remember the normal protocol was if, 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 if the king did not ask for you, you do not bother the king. And if he sees you, even, guys, this even applies to his wife. Even if he sees you and he did not require, and remember how unstable Ahasuerus is. He's, he's, he's emotionally volatile. You never know what this guy's gonna do. He's crazy, okay? Or, or if you wanna use cray-cray, that's fine, all right? And so, in that moment, she's facing, she stands, she faces him. She doesn't know what's gonna happen. And what does Ahasuerus do? He extends the gold scepter. Why? Let's go back. He saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard and exactly like God has done before. Remember, what God has done before will lead you to believe further into his faithfulness for the future. So if you're ever struggling with God's faithfulness, we need to go back to the word and we need to go, what has God done? What has he accomplished? What has he accomplished in your life, but also in all of human history? And we bank on that. His past performance is a future indicator of his promises and of his faithfulness. And so she gained favor with him because Esther had favor. What is favor? It's, un, it's unmerited grace. It's just this, you've, I know that you've had a moment like this in your life where, where, where things, just, things just worked out in a way that you couldn't take credit for right? God wrote a story that you and I cannot take credit for. That's always my prayer. That's my prayer with our church here at Anchor. It's a prayer with my life. God, write a story that I cannot take credit for. I could never say, oh yeah, that was me. No, I'd be like, I don't know how that happened. God, God did it. And I guarantee you, each of us have a moment like that in our life. But she gains favor and it was from God. The king extends the gold scepter in this dramatic motion. He extends the gold scepter out. She approaches and she touches the tip of the scepter. And that means she has freedom to speak. Hey, friends, let me ask you a question real quick. What courtyard of obedience are you in right now? I challenged us with this this week, uh, with last week, and I'll challenge, it, I'll challenge us again this week. What is it that God has been clear? This is your next step. This is what you need to do and yet we still are not moving our feet quite yet. Yes, God's timing sometimes requires us to be patient. Sometimes there's a process in that, but sometimes we're just afraid. And sometimes we need the boldness and courage and just lean into this message this morning and just, and just know that all of us have this courtyard of obedience. And if we can just step up and be obedient, man, God, God will, friends, this is a fact, okay? God rewards obedience. He rewards obedience. No, it's not always with a Lamborghini. No, it's not always with perfect health. It's not always something material. Your only reward might, might be the peace that passes understanding. But what a great reward. What treasure we have in the Lord Jesus. He, he is our treasure. If God didn't give me another cent in my bank account, if he doesn't give me another healthy cell in my body, if he took me right now, I'd have nothing to do but praise him for all that he's given me in my life. And I hope that can be our posture as we move forward. So we see the scene one, the courtyard of obedience. She steps up, God gives her favor. He's taking care of business. And in scene two, write this down, the brave petition. 
the brave petition. We talked a lot about courage, about faith, and about just being brave. Again, not lacking fear, but leaning into it, leveraging it, and believing that God is gonna give you the words to say in the right moment. There may be a moment in your life where you're like, man, I don't even even know what to say. Jesus Christ said himself to his disciples, hey, the Holy Spirit will teach you in the moment what you ought to say. If we're available and obedient, God God is not gonna leave you hanging. I can't seem to convince my kids this in, in our relationship that I'm not going, you know, they, they get worried about which directions I'm going sometimes in the car, like the GPS is not in front of them. They have no clue where we're going. They say, Dad, is this, is this the right way? Is this it? I mean, I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old questioning my uh, navigational abilities. And I have many weaknesses, but I am directionally oriented. Um, and so I try, to, I try to remind them of this. Um, and so, you know, I'm like, guys, trust me. Like, I've got it. Like, I've been driving for a little while. I've got it right here. I've got the directions. Like, Dad, I don't know. Are you sure? And if I turn around, man, they, and they, they get going in the back. If I, if, I, if I do have to U-turn, if I do make a mistake, all, all confidence has been lost. But see, God doesn't make mistakes like that. He doesn't ever need to U-turn. He might, he might cause you to U-turn and, and, and repent or, or lead, lead you. And, you know, we, all, we always want the path to be this, and God's path is often this. You guys have seen the graph floats around on social media, right? You know, God's, God's plan for your life is all over the place, but he's faithful, and he'll get you from here to here. Discipleship is directional. It's not a destination. When you say yes to Jesus and you start walking with him, you're walking in a long-term direction. And he says, guys, if you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It's a bumpy ride, but he's a good and faithful God. And he will take care of you. And he is taking care of you. And many of us can testify to that this morning. Let's get into verse three. So the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? Whatever you want. Here goes King Ahasuerus, ready? He's real generous. Here we go. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Remember, he loves to exaggerate. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet. Oh, that's a good idea that I've prepared for him. Remember, Hazarus loves a party, right? He's a party animal. Threw threw a 180-day party in chapter one, right? Messed everything up, but man, he loves a party. Friends, we see Esther's actions here. There isn't even enough time this morning to, to dive into the depths of the wisdom that she's displaying here. But what Esther does is she, she, she plays to that advantage. She knows he loves a banquet. So she's leveraging that. And someone would go, well, is that, was that being manipulative? No, it's being shrewd. Jesus praises shrewdness. Manipulation is usually to purely one's own benefit. Her leveraging and her shrewdness is actually for the benefit of, yes, herself, but really others, the whole nation, 15 million Jews who are mourning right now because they've got a death sentence. And they're, they're on death row. And she says, hey, I wanna throw a party for crazy King Ahasuerus and evil Prime Minister Haman. Just, just the two of you and myself. So a three-person party, she's wise. She shows a, a few things this morning. And here's a few things you can write down that are very wise that you can use in your life as well. Wisdom, with wisdom, there is much restraint. With wisdom, there is much restraint. Have you experienced that? Sometimes the best thing to do is to not do. <laughs> Sometimes the best thing in that moment is to not say something. It's more about what we don't do than what we do. It's discernment, it's tact. 
it's patience. And that's the other thing that wisdom is patient. What are, what are we patient with? We're patient with people, but we're really patient with God's timing. So I call this like pump the brakes. And God's always <laughs> telling me that just in my heart. Like, Brandon, pump the brakes. I've got this. You don't need to run out ahead of me and try to do all this stuff. Like, just, just trust me. And I, I have to take extra special time each and every day to lean into that and to say, God, yes, I trust your time and it's going way slower than I want, but I believe that you're in control. Yes, I will. So she's wise, restraint, patience, and then just knowing the right thing to do, which is just this, again, this discernment, this just knowing the timing, the right way, the wrong way. And so she says, if it pleases the king, Come to a banquet. Well, the king's response is in verse five, what does he say? Hurry, get, get Haman in here so we can do as Esther has requested. He's real excited about this. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. All right, so they go to the banquet. Let's just keep on reading here in verse six. So while drinking the wine, of course there's wine at the party, okay? While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, it will be done. Nestor answered, this is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and this is a since if, you know what I mean? S-I-N-C-E, a since if. She, she knows, she's, she's feeling the favor. She knows that she has it and that the Lord has given her the same favor he gave her in chapter two to, to allow her to rise to this position for such a time as this is the same favor she has now. So just kind of hear that word since when you see if there. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to a banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. So she invites them to a party to invite them to another party. Now let's just be honest. If this was like plan A presented to us, all right, so what are we gonna do here? All right, let's all have a meeting here. All right, we're gonna have a party and then we're gonna invite King Ahasuerus to another party. If, if someone just told you that, how many of you, be honest, would say like, I don't, I don't know if that's the best plan. I don't know if that's the best. Anybody, anybody just like a party for another party? Like, what's the, what's the point? Okay, so we, so we may be scratching our heads going, why? Again, God's timing, friends, often moves way slower than we want. God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. He's never late. He's never in a hurry. The best thing we can do is eliminate hurry from our life because I often find that when I'm in a hurry, when, when my heart is hurried and restless, that I miss out on what God has for me. I, I, I blow past it. I'm going so fast on the interstate. You think about traveling down the interstate and you can't even read the signs because you're going so fast. There are certain things that God can only say to us at certain RPMs in our heart. We, and that's, that, friends, that's what our quiet time is. Our quiet time each day, your, your devotion time, a Bible reading, Bible meditation, Bible study, when we slow down enough, those RPMs where God can, can whisper to your heart the things that you need to hear. And so there's gonna be a party. There's, there's, there's a zeal and this passion that Esther has, and she takes immediate action, but she isn't reckless in the way she moves forward. Remember, she's pumping the brakes. And there's a couple of evidences of God's sovereignty here. Remember, we talked about two Ps in the book of Esther. God's providence, that's like his sovereignty, like he's over everything, he's providing everything at the right time, the right way. And then God's presence. He's, even when we don't see it, he's working. We were just saying about it. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. Even when we hear the opposite 
from the devil or from our emotions lying to us, saying, no, 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 God's, God's forgotten you. No, 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 he's, he's with you, he's working. So we have a few evidence, uh, evidences of God's sovereignty. Again, the, the restraint, this process moves slow. It's methodical. Number two, the, the delay. Here's one thing that you do not wanna say to a Persian king who, remember, ruled all the way from Ethiopia to India. His, his empire was the largest in the world. And here's the number one thing you don't wanna say to the king even if you're his wife, ready? Wait. Wait, or the words tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow I have a party. Remember, Ahasuerus is emotionally volatile. He's not a patient man. He's reckless. He, does, he, he lacks wisdom. He lacks discernment. He wants it now. He wants immediate gratification. He's a pleasure monster, right? He has a harem of hundreds of ladies and he's calling them one by one whenever he wants. I mean, this is, this is a guy that, that is, is a hedonist. Hedonism is centered around pleasure. It's a, it's, a, it's a philosophy and a worldview that says pleasure is the ultimate reality. It's the ultimate goal of everything, hedonism. And he is a class A hedonist in the story. And so you don't say tomorrow, hey, king, would you wait? But God's providence, again, even in the waiting here, he doesn't freak out. This, this is supernatural, friends. We go, yeah, okay, that's what the narrative says. No, this is miraculous that he does not freak out and just all, off with her head, okay? I know we think, well, well, it's because he loves her, you know, that, that he doesn't do that. No, it's because God gave her favor. She has an extraordinary amount of favor from God. And what God also does, the Proverbs talk about this, is that God restrains and, and even moves in the hearts of ungodly rulers throughout time. He did it with Cyrus, right? When Cyrus let the Israelites go back from the exile. This is back a few. This was, this was King Cyrus, and he worked in Cyrus's heart. Uh, he worked in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, if you, if you read Daniel. And then, you know, Darius, and then now Xerxes or Ahasuerus. He's working in these kings' hearts. God is sovereign to do this. He worked in Pharaoh's heart, remember? Now, this doesn't mean we're puppets and automatrons and God just works in your heart, however, and you have nothing to do with it. But at certain times, in certain ways, God does the miraculous. He shows up in these moments. He violates the natural order uh, according to his will. And, and he does the supernatural. He does the unthinkable. So remember, wisdom often takes the path of restraint and patience. Our natural inclination is to get it now especially in the 21st century, especially in 2022, everything's centered around immediate gratification. And taking this calm, calculated path forward allows Esther to work out her faith with fear and trembling, but also with boldness and courage. So let's get to this third scene this morning. Let's, let's wrap it up this morning, this third scene. So Esther's invited them to these parties and she's done all this. And we're now gonna get into Haman's head a little bit. We're gonna talk about the villain again, okay? The last one's gonna kind of center around a narrative about him from verses nine to 14. This is called the dissatisfaction of pride and revenge. Our final scene today. That day, verse nine, Haman left, how did he leave? Full of joy and in good spirits. All right. You know why he's so excited? She, she invited me to a part, just, just me and the king and her. I'm somebody. I'm important. Look at me. Me, 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 pride, self-focused, self-centered, self-loving. Haman was excited. 
But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate in that spot that Mordecai was always was present in because he was an official, remember he was at the king's gate, Mordecai did not rise and tremble and feared his presence. Remember Haman made the rule a few chapters back that anyone who ever saw him needed to bow down because he was important, worthy of honor and even worship. Mordecai didn't rise or tremble and feared his presence. And this made Haman filled with rage towards Mordecai. Yet, in a very rare moment, (laughs) verse 10, Haman controlled himself and he went home. He's in control for now. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. So he's super ticked. And his solution is to gather up his friends and his bride, his family and friends together, the people that are gonna really, honestly, this is what we see from Haman. He, he is a wicked man that loves to hear, this is what pride does. We surround ourselves in pride. This is what pride does. Surrounding yourself with people who only tell you what you want to hear. You know, you know what my best friends in my life do? They sometimes tell me what I don't wanna hear. I'm thankful to be married to a woman celebrating 11 years next week that tells me what I don't wanna hear. She's very honest with me and does it in the most loving, sweet way imaginable. God uses her daily <laughs> to speak to my heart. And I'm very thankful for Tabor in that way. But what Haman does is different. He surrounds himself with just yes people, with just people, just an echo chamber. And so that day, here's what he does. He gathers all these people together. Verse, verse 11, let's put that on screen. Haman described for them his glorious wealth. Do you think that these people didn't realize how, how rich he was? This is his wife and his friends. They're like, really? You got money? So he's literally sitting around talking about his wealth, talking about all his possessions, all his treasure, and, and his many sons. I mean, look at all these sons that I've been, man, I'm really important because I have this huge family. I have all this wealth. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over other officials and the royal staff. See, again, prideful people only see themselves in the grand narrative of the story. He thinks things are going well for him and he's only focused on himself. What's more, verse 12, but but here's here's where you're gonna start to vent in a minute. What's more, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet that she had prepared. And I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. But still, verse 13, still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. There's only one thing that satisfies a person like Haman is revenge. The only thing is death, suffering for others. But that's actually not true, is it? Because it really doesn't satisfy. It only feeds more and more desire for evil. See, that's what evil does. It's always a downward spiral. It's always a degradation down. It's what sin does in our lives. When we allow sin to be present, whatever that sin is, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a compulsive behavior, it just doesn't lead us well. It doesn't make us more like Jesus. It makes us, makes us less and less like Jesus. Or maybe it's just something that we're allowing to dominate and have control in our life. When we make room for those things, when we allow those things in our life, it always feeds more and more. It's never enough it's for just one time, two times. We've lied to ourselves before, haven't we? We're saying, oh man it's, just, man, it's just once. It's just this one little thing. It's just, 
it all, it, that never satisfies. And Haman will never be satisfied with even what he craves, which is the death of Mordecai, the death of not just Mordecai, but all 15 million Jews everywhere. And so we see the narration of how bad others are, how good Haman is, flaunting wealth, position, and privilege. Reminds me of um, Psalm 7, who talks about, and without reading the whole entire portion, we even see this in Proverbs, right? This is the more, well, let's just go to the Proverbs uh, uh, verse about, you know, pride comes before the fall, right? Pride comes before the fall. Pride always leads to a great fall, and this is foreshadowing this for Haman. But here's the conclusion for today. So this is where we're going to land. We're landing the plane on the contrast of a self-indulgent heart and an obedient heart. And we see those two pictures. We see this a lot in Jewish writing. We see contrast. We see irony. And we see contrast here between, between Esther and Haman. And let's just read verses four, uh, thir- uh, 13 and 14. Still none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. And his wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, They're all kind of telling them the same thing. They say, have them build gallows 75 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. They're going to build gallows, which this is how, there's a lot of debate over what, what exactly the gallows were to Persians, but most scholars agree, like the Persians' favorite way to put, someone's to, to put someone to death, especially on public display like that, 75 feet high, these would have been ginormous 75 foot tall spikes, and they would have impaled the person on top of it. So they would, you know, thank crucifixion, you know, the Roman crucifixion with the Persians actually invented persecution. Uh, invented crucifixion for the Romans to take and kind of go to the next level. But Persians would impale people on stakes all the time. And he's like, no, a normal stake is not going to do it. It needs to be 75 feet so I can make an example out of this Mordecai. And so, again, it's the, it's the false lie of the satisfaction of that person getting what's coming to them. Sometimes it's a perceived injustice and it's not a real injustice. And I just want to, you know, we can actually learn something from this, friends. I know that none of us have probably wished someone was impaled on a 75 foot tall spike, you know, maybe not going to that level in our thinking. But sometimes we can be in danger of this same heart. And just as your pastor this morning, I just want to caution you and I want to caution myself in just trying to play God as it relates to vengeance and as it relates to some, you know, maybe someone, maybe you feel like someone has wronged you, maybe rightly or wrongly. I don't, I don't know the situation, but even if it's a legitimate injustice, God, God tells us in Romans, he gives us this beautiful, beautiful verse in Romans that says, and it's really a quotation of an Old Testament verse. It says, vengeance is mine. I shall repay, says the Lord. Let us never try to be the perfect, just God, distributing the just punishment that, that some people are going to get. Wicked. I mean, think about these gunmen that go in and just shoot places up and kill innocent people. And we wish, like guys, God, God will take care of all of that. God is not ignorant of any situation in this entire world. He knows it all, and he's got it. 
but as his children. Let's give that over to the Lord and just don't allow, this is my encouragement, don't, don't ever allow hate and bitterness to control you. It will. You think it's hurting the other person, but it keeps them in control. And there's just some, something that mercy and forgiveness does in our heart. It doesn't make that situation go away. I mean, we, we, we remember that it happened. It still hurts us when we think about it. But we practice the same things that Jesus told us that we have. Forgiveness and mercy, right? He knows that we've messed up. But it's like he's forgotten our sin. It's as if they've never happened because we have mercy and forgiveness through him. And so we see self-indulgent heart and an obedient heart. All we can do this morning, this is what I'm going to ask, this is what I'm going to call us to, ready? To bring an open, available, obedient heart to a great mighty God who can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He will work out his will. My prayer is for us as a body of believers at Anchor who respond to God's truth with the same kind of response that Esther did. I will step up. I will stand and face whatever God has called me to. I'll risk whatever he's asking me to risk because there's always a risk when we have obedience to God, friends. There's always a risk. If you're looking for a low-risk journey, uh, Christianity's not it. Following Jesus is a high risk. Again, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. But we'll walk in step with God's wisdom and here we go, God's timing in his way. Different situations, trust his timing. As some of you are right now, you're being challenged to trust his timing. Philippians um, also tells us to live as Christ and to die as gain. So that means whatever, whatever happens with our life, there's this worship song, I remember, in death and in life, I'm confident and I'm satisfied in the work of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Do you really trust his timing? You trust the timing of the Father who's the planner in the Trinity, right? We've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this three-in-one God that we worship, three persons in one God. The Father's will, do we trust the timing of the Father's will? Do we trust the eternal work of the Son in, a, in our salvation? Sometimes we doubt our salvation. Sometimes we're not convinced that he's gonna keep forgiving us, that, that mercy's gonna run out. It'll never run out. He'll never leave you, forsake you. He'll never abandon you. If you are truly in Christ, you are saved to the uttermost. He keeps on saving. And then do we trust the work of the Spirit? The Spirit of God is the power that lives inside of us. Romans 8 says that if you are in Christ, that the powerful Spirit of God lives within you. And the only way that any of this stuff that we just heard about this morning in Esther is possible is for Spirit-empowered believers to step up and go, I know the power source within me and I'm gonna trust in his power and I'm gonna ask the spirit of God to teach me in the moment what to say and what to do. So let me ask you a question this morning as we close. What is God calling you to do? Based on what you heard today, what is your next step? If you lack wisdom, seek the Lord. I'm gonna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me now as we respond. All of us have a response in the room. We talk about this every week, but I want to remind us because I know sometimes we can sit here sometimes and think, man, someone, someone else needs to hear that. Or, man, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that someone else was here to hear that. But no, man, this message is for you this morning. What is God leading you to do right now? How is he working in your life? Just think about it. Meditate on it this morning.
Just take some time in this moment, ask him for help. Ask the spirit of the living God to help you, to be with you, to empower you, to help you step into the courtyard of obedience, just like Jesus did. Jesus stepped into the courtyard of obedience on our behalf. He gave his life for us on the cross. He gave his life for you. Then he rose again in victory. Friends, in the same way that Christ rose again in three days, in three days of prayer and fasting, Esther stepped into a victory that God had for her. And if you're struggling right now through something, there's a victory coming ahead for you. Redemption is alive and well. Hope is alive and well. And his name is Jesus. Lean, in, lean into him today. Trust in Christ alone. Lord, we pray to you, asking again that you would do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Call us to take our next steps. May worship pour out from our lips because we rest in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.